experiences like that can't just stay in here. They can't just stay here. Like, they start in a place like this. They start when we just set our face toward him and just go, God, you're amazing. We just crack our hearts open, pour out love, all of that. But it's not meant to stay here. In fact, if we look at Ezekiel's vision of the river, the river got deeper the further it flowed from the temple. So the further we actually take this out, the deeper it gets, the more powerful it gets. And you know, there's one part of my brain that says, you know, what, I, what I'm planning, which has at least a pragmatic landing place to it, is like, oh, but we're here in this amazing place. And then I realise, no, actually, this is really important. It actually needs to not just stay here. Um, I remember Bill Johnson um, saying once, and he had this experience. They had a roadrunner come into their building. You know, one of those, meet me, you know, you know, one of those. And um, they became very attached to it because it was just for like a couple of months, I think it was, just kept coming in into the building and just hanging around. I don't remember if it was the prayer house or whether it was one of their buildings. I can't remember it exactly. And then one day, whether it got a fright or something happened and it went to ran, run out the glass door, but the glass door was shut and it ran into it, hit the ground and died, like instantly. And, you know, Bill was in the building and they said, the roadrunner, it's, it's been... So I'm not trying to traumatise you. There is a point to this. Um, and um, and he, he, you know, he was saying, yeah, you feel affectionate toward this thing now just after me telling this story for a few years. Imagine how we felt after months of this thing. And someone came and said to Bill, you know, it, it, it's, it's dead, it's on the floor. And he's like, take me to it. <laughs> and he's getting ready to, you know, raise this thing from the dead. And he went to lay hands on this roadrunner. And the moment he moved toward it, he said, I felt the anointing just completely lift off me. I'm like, what is that? And he heard the voice of God say, if what's in the house can't find a way out of the house, it's going to die in the house. So what happens in the house must find a way out of the house or it's going to die in here. That has nothing to do... Well, no, it has everything to do with what I'm saying. It's nothing in terms of what I'd prepared. But um, where I started last week was in the course of destiny, one of the things... One of the major themes in Scripture is that we as the body of Christ, as the people of God, are meant to be the head and not the tail. So as this, as what happens in here flows out, it actually has a tangible impact on the world around us that is not just us you know, sharing gospel tracts and talking about Jesus and the cross. There's something far more powerful than just that. And... One of the most powerful pictures in Scripture of what that, meant, that is meant to look like is King Solomon. The, if you think of what King Solomon grew up under, he grew up under the guy who reinstituted, or really instituted in many ways, 24-7 worship before the very presence of God. That was his dad. So he grew up in a house where that is what characterised their household was, we are about presence, we are about presence, we are about presence. And that whole 24-7 worship before the very presence of God was actually something that was reserved for a later time. It was reserved for post-Jesus. 
And David found a way, because of the uniqueness of his relationship with God, to pull that into his day before it was actually due. That's a whole other message right there. But this is what Solomon grew up under. That's the point I want to make. Solomon grew up in that kind of environment where the sort of thing that we're experiencing here, that was his normal every day and a whole lot more. That was his world. Now, what did that do to King Solomon's world? Well, he became the wisest man on earth. And no king in the history of the earth has been adorned with glory and splendor in, in even a human sense like Solomon. And other kings and queens of the earth would come to Solomon to see his wisdom. And that alone reminds me of the prophecy in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4, where it says that in the last days, the mountain of the hill of the Lord will become the chief among mountains and nations will come streaming into the house of God saying, show me his ways. That's essentially what happened in King Solomon's time was nations and kings of nations would come streaming, streaming into Solomon's palace to say, show me the ways of God. And out of that, that all, sorry, all of that was birthed out of his dad was the presence guy. His dad was the one who knew more about the experiential presence of God than probably anyone that had walked before him, perhaps other than Adam and Eve. So as we talk about this for the next few minutes, I want us to remember a lot of this wisdom, a lot of the stuff I'm going to uh, read from, it's not all, but a lot of what I'm going to read from actually comes from the guy that rose to be the head and not the tail, literally. It wasn't just theologically or conceptually. It was experientially. He became the head and not the tail. And in Proverbs, he shares not only his wisdom, but how to get that wisdom. And that, that's the point that I, I want to dig in a little bit more. We talked about to be the head and not the tail, we need two things. We need understanding or wisdom, which in Proverbs are largely used interchangeably, and we also need authority. I'm going to pick up the authority piece in the, in the weeks ahead. Last week, I talked about this, uh, what I called a metastructure, if you like. The metastructure is the, the broader structure. If you think of a house, it's the broader structure that as a result of that structure being present, everything else can come in. So when he says to Daniel, he gives wisdom to the wise, there is this structure called wisdom that actually attracts heaven's wisdom. But there's a structure that's already there. And what I want to look at is how do we get that structure, if you like? How does wisdom actually come? If you like, how does the... And we, we talked about the disciples where Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. How do we get that? Because when you have the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, you get a whole lot of other stuff. This ringing a bell for anyone? Anyone there? All right. And remembering too that the word proverb wasn't just a rhyme or a saying. The word proverb actually means to reign in life. So the whole concept of the book of Proverbs is actually all about reigning in life. And it's not just about us as individuals reigning in life. It's about us corporately. This is a corporate deal. That word in Deuteronomy 28, that you will always be the head and not the tail, was a word that was given to a whole nation. It wasn't just given to a group of individuals. Because if it's given to a whole group of individuals who will all be the head and not the tail, well, that's a lot of heads and no anything else. 
but corporately together they were to be the head and not the tail. And so I want to make sure that when we talk of destiny, we're not just thinking individualistically, we're thinking collectively. You're part of a team. And when the team wins, you win, even if you score a duck. I'm using a cricket analogy there. (laughs) Even if you go out to bat and score a duck, but your team wins, you still win. Now, the baseline of it all, we talked about this a little bit last week, was the fear of the Lord. And the place in worship that we've just been in is really a really good place where the fear, not the, oh, I'm scared, I'm running away fear, but that reverent awe of, oh my goodness, you are so much bigger than me, where, where that comes in. So remembering that the beginning of this thing called wisdom, how we get this wisdom that makes us the head like Solomon begins with us submitting to the one who is all wise and realizing, hey, we're not king here. We're not God here. And as we submit to him, that is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 11.2 says, with humility comes wisdom. In other words, as we humble ourselves before him, wisdom gets attracted to us. This is an interesting one in Psalm 90, verses 11 and 12. Actually, let me read it to you quickly. I'm not going to camp there long, but let me... Psalm 90, verses 11 and 12. And this this sounds like an odd one. And that is one of the ways that Scripture says that wisdom comes is realizing that our our days are numbered. This sounds odd, but let me read this. Psalm 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if your strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Verse 12, he says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's like, what? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, realizing that I have a beginning and an end, and therefore I fear the Lord, knowing that he has no beginning and no end, but I have a beginning and I have an end. in this earthly life of 70, 80-ish years, that is the beginning of wisdom. Now, in some... Yeah, I could think, why is that? How does that happen? I remember Steve Jobs in an address to Stanford University in 2005, and in America they call it the commencement address, but it's actually at the end of university because they're commencing their life, apparently, something like that. Um, And Steve Jobs talked about his first bout with cancer. And his, in his first bout with cancer, they, he thought he only had months to live. And long story short, he actually got through it and um, he had a rare kind that was actually treatable. But one of the things he says in this address is that death is one of the single best inventions of life. Because he says, knowing that you're going to die one day says, don't waste a single day. And then he goes in, and it was sheer brilliance. And he just says, don't waste your life living somebody else's dream. You don't have time to waste. You actually need to steward the days you have. Don't waste your life living somebody else's dream. You need to find your own and steward that well. So there's something in the fear of the Lord that says, realizing that I have the beginning and an end, there's a humility in that that actually attracts wisdom to us. Now, In terms of this wisdom thing, how does it come? How does it come to us? There's a supernatural side and there's a natural side. I want to talk about both for just a minute or two. I want to talk about the supernatural side first because it's kind of fun. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. 
if you happen to have a, uh, a Bible, an iPhone, an iPad or something there, feel free to follow me there. Luke chapter 16. And remember, we're talking about attracting the stuff of the kingdom to us. Now, before I read it, the context of this is actually all about wealth. Okay, so in the verses before, um, Jesus is telling a parable and it says, the master commended this dishonest manager because they had acted shrewdly. And he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The sense of that is use worldly wealth that you gain in the kingdom to gain friends in the world so that when their earthly wealth is gone, they actually find friends in the kingdom and end up with eternal riches. That, that's the concept of what he's trying to say. A lot of the churches spend too much time trying to chase money away because we love poverty. Um, and I just think that's really, really unwise. Now, and quite unbiblical. So, verse 10. So, remember, this is in the context of wealth. He says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, he's doing a little much. Jesus is doing this little much comparison. And verse 10, the little much comparison comparison is about quantities of wealth. So if you've been faithful in a little bit, with a little bit of money, you can be faithful with a lot of money. That's the little versus much comparison. But then in the next, so that's a quantitative amount. But then in verse 11, the comparison is a qualitative, come out in Jesus' name. A qualitative thing. It's about the quality. It's about the substance. In other words, the very little. So he says, if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you you can handle true riches. So the little thing that he's talking about in the comparison is worldly wealth. Now, Jesus talked about money more than just about any other subject that he talked about, if you read through the Gospels. Proverbs is full of talk about money, and yet Jesus says it's actually a small thing. But it's a small thing that if you can handle that small thing, you can be trusted with the big thing, which he says is true riches. Now, what is true riches? True riches must be the kingdom. It must be the essence of the kingdom and the presence and the active demonstration of the kingdom. But this wisdom is part of that. You see, the foundations of Jesus' ministry were revelation, power, and love. Everything that Jesus did came back to revelation. It was prophetic, word of knowledge, whatever it was. Power, where he healed, and love, where he moved with compassion. And love seemed to be the conduit that activated the supernatural because wherever you see that Jesus was moved with compassion, he did a supernatural act immediately after. Now, revelation, if you, sorry, wisdom is the revelation part. Because wisdom is supernatural in nature, it is creative in nature, it is revelatory in nature, and Proverbs says it is more valuable than anything else. And this is why I'm I'm equating it with true riches, because Solomon in Proverbs says, wisdom, though it cost all you have in terms of your earthly wealth, get this, because this is true riches. Are we making the connection? So... When we're trustworthy in handling this small thing, it actually unlocks doors of revelation. And like I said, we've spent as the church way too many years trying to chase money away and going, well, well, we just need to be poor and I'll just be thankful for what I have. And and yet Jesus is saying, 
When you steward worldly wealth well, you learn something. Something happens in you that makes you a conduit for the kingdom. And Deb um, pulled out a prophetic word from Steve Backland. From, I can't remember when it was. It was a few years back. Steve Backland's one of the um, senior guys at Bethel. And she wrote it down at the top of this page of prophetic words. And the word was basically this. Go after the headwaters of finance and the rest of the kingdom will open up to you. It's funny because she didn't know I was talking about this and then she pulled that out like about an hour before I left home um, to, to come here. It was an interesting context because if you can be trustworthy in handling that, then he says you can be trusted with true riches. How do we actually become a conduit of attraction of kingdom wisdom? Well, one of the keys, supernaturally, is actually how we handle our money. Because it's a little thing that if we can learn to steward that well, then he says, if you can steward that, you can steward this. Ah, we're about to say, when I come to the natural side, you'll hear. And if you don't ask me again, heckle me. That's dangerous saying that to you, I know, but, but bring it. <laughs> Okay, let me jump over to Joe. So one of the keys, and a lot of people won't actually find the connection necessarily, but I believe there are so many people who have been so faithful financially that have got realms of revelation that have opened up to them, but they've just not seen the link as to how they got that. They've just thought, oh, well, I'm just blessed. I'm just, yeah, God has just opened the doors to this. And I'm thinking, actually, no, the breakthrough came here. You just haven't made the connection yet. Now, Job chapter 32, that sounds like a really strange place to go for something on this. I'm well aware. But again, in context, this is the supernatural side of how wisdom comes, how we get this kingdom wisdom and understanding, this meta structure that attracts the rest. Now, the context of Job. We know that Job's life, Job was blessed, his life goes to hell in a handbasket, and he's wrestling through this. And he has three or four counsellors that come around him and try and give him all sorts of advice. When we get to Job 32, basically Job's three counsellors had run out of stuff. You know, they'd run out of ideas, they'd run out of advice, and they hadn't broken through. And there is this young dude called Elihu. Elihu. That's right. Who? Elihu. Let me read from Job 32. So these three men, the other three counsellors, stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzzite, not Buzz Lightyear, I don't think, because he wasn't around then, from the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. And he was also angry with the three friends because they'd found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now, Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because the other three were older than he. But when he saw the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakal, the Buzzite, said, listen to this, I am young in years and you are old. That's why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced in years should teach wisdom. Now here it is. But, verse 8, it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them the understanding. It is not the old who are wise and not only the aged who understand what is right. 
Now, in an earthly sense, we think wisdom comes with years. And look, there is no doubt that years plus good process produces wisdom. Years alone doesn't. <laughs> I've seen that way too many times. <laughs> I don't think I want to say too much more on that. But years alone does not produce wisdom. Years plus good process can. But what this young counsellor of Job said was, it is the breath of God in a man that gives them wisdom. And if you look at the end, he was the only one of the counsellors that didn't get his butt kicked by God. For who is this that darkens my counsel with wisdom without knowledge? The other three get their bucks kicked, but Elihu gets left out of that somehow. Because just after Elihu, God rocks up and says, prepare yourself like a man, because I'm going to ask you some questions. And you are going to answer me. Where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Like you could, if you were in Job's shoes, I think I'd be melting like the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz at that point. And <laughs> just going, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is the breath of God in a person that gives them wisdom. Cultivating his breath in you is so foundational to yours and our destiny. Otherwise, we are going to be a nice, well-intentioned group of people that do nice things. But we're not going to be the head and not the tail. We're not going to be the head. We will be the tail. Things like soaking are so critical in terms of being in a revelatory place where the breath of God in you can start to blow, can start to stir, and you start to get insight into things that couldn't come any other way. I mean, how many of you have been sitting still for, for just a moment and this idea or this insight comes at you from left field and you go, wow, that's brilliant. I never thought to think, I never thought of doing it like that. Is that just me or has anyone else had that? So what would happen if you made a practice of actually staying still long enough for that to happen. Just a thought. This is where tongues is also amazing because in tongues, you're praying in a language that is heavenly. You're praying in the language of the Spirit. And often, and I've said this before, we stop too soon because we just think, oh, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. This sounds stupid. It's laughable. Glad no one can see me or hear me. Uh, but when we stay there long enough and our spirit starts to engage and then all of a sudden things start to bubble up, whether it's ideas start to bubble up or we feel prompted to do something, to me, that is a form of interpretation of tongues. It's not necessarily I understand the exact words, though that is, you know, though that is a form of interpretation of tongues too. And I've, heard, you know, I've been in a room where someone's done that. I go, I know exactly what you just said. Yeah, that's interpretation of tongues, but there's a kind that I think that we don't pay attention to, and that is when we pray in the Spirit long enough, and all of a sudden we get clarity on something, or, or we feel to pray about something, you know, in English, in our case, that is actually your mind starting to understand what your Spirit is praying. That is a place of wisdom. That is a place of heaven's revelation. And what I'm saying here simply is we need to cultivate that place. It starts in places like this, in experiences like this, where you know, so much is possible in the corporate, where two or three or more are gathered.
But as we cultivate this personally, we start to get wisdom, we start to get insight, we start to get ideas. If you've never read Bill Johnson's book, Dreaming with God, I wholeheartedly recommend it because some of those stories in there will wholeheartedly encourage you around this. Now, let me dive into the natural side for just a few minutes before we land. So the supernatural side, stewarding finance, following his voice, stewarding that well actually starts to create an open portal where we start to receive true riches. That's, that's the first part of the supernatural side. The second is just understanding. It is the spirit of God in you. Who is wisdom? That gives you that structure that starts to attract kingdom revelation. You become a walking temple of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty biblical as I read Corinthians. You become a walking temple of the Holy Spirit, which actually attracts the mind of Christ. Now, the natural side. This is all through the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to read a few of them and you'll get the idea very, very quickly. But remember last week, we talked about the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. And Jesus said to the disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, not to them. Now, think of the context in which he spoke that. These guys were hanging around with Jesus for years. This wasn't just a sudden transaction, I think. They had put themselves in a place of humility under the wisest guy who walked the earth. So if you think of that context, and then we listen to some of these verses in Proverbs, and what I'm going for here is the natural side, which, of course, there's nothing that's natural that isn't supernatural in a sense. God, God uses the natural. But what I'm talking about is our commitment to receiving counsel, mentoring, correction, fathering and mothering is such a big deal in the book of Proverbs. This is the pragmatic side. Like I said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom came to the disciples in the context of them hanging around with Jesus, being fathered by Jesus for, year, for three and a half years. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1 says, Listen, my son, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. So listen to a father's in instruction, pay attention, and you will gain understanding. If you remember, we said last week, understanding and wisdom are used interchangeably through Proverbs in terms of this greater structure that attracts specific wisdom and revelation. Proverbs 1.7, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Um, Proverbs 15.32, he who heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, don't despise the Lord's discipline or resent his rebuke. Uh, Proverbs 12, 1, to love discipline is to love knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That is actually what it says. I didn't make that up. Australians would interpret that or in a different series of words, I'm sure, but um, he who hates correction is stupid. Now, if ever there was a counterintuitive verse in all of Scripture, that would have to be it. Because who loves being corrected? My hands are down. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. But the wisdom of Solomon, who rose to be the head, said in his wisdom and his experience of life, if you hate correction, you're stupid. Proverbs 13.10, wisdom in found, is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 19.25, rebuke a discerning man and he will gain knowledge. 
Proverbs 21.11, when a wise man, there's that structure, is instructed, he gets knowledge. Proverbs 29.15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, and a, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. So it's not just talking about parenting. Think of this, this father-son, mother-daughter paradigm of kingdom family. Whether you're you know, blood mother and father and daughter and son or not, we all have mothers and fathers in the kingdom. We have mothers and fathers in our life. And it says the rod of correction, that motherly, fatherly discipline actually imparts wisdom. So what do I want to suggest? In terms of your destiny, very specifically, to pray for divine connections with mentors, mothers, fathers in the sphere that you are called to. Because if you are going to impact the sphere that you are called to, you need wisdom and understanding in order to be the head in that field, in that sphere. And to get it, we need someone who's gone, no, stupid, this way. Don't go there. Try that. No worky. <laughs> See the way you're thinking there? Nah. <laughs> Praying for divine connections. Some of these connections will be peers that you have what I call a divine flow with. In other words, when the two of you get together and you start talking about these areas of destiny, something happens in spirit and you both kind of flow high in higher revelation than you do when you're apart. Actually happens musically. I mean, you would know this, Jen. There are some people that you sing with that when you're singing with them, something happens that you can do things that you can never do when you're on your own. It's the same in the spirit. When we have a divine flow with someone, something happens where, and I've watched this happen in ministry with partnerships that I've had over the years, that there are a few that I've had such a divine connection with that both of us go to a whole nother level of anointing when we're in the room and doing stuff together than when we're apart. That's what we're looking for. It's that peer-to-peer mother and fathering. Others are going to be mentors that are further down the road from you, but we need to pray for mentors in the areas where we're called to make a difference so that we can gain this thing called wisdom and understanding. I want to suggest that you read Proverbs chapter 2 and 3 every day for the next week or two. Because you'll just, it will just get so into you, the foundations of wisdom and knowledge, and this whole thing of, I must be a person who takes advice. I must be a person who has people that speak into my world. Now, your mentors... I've heard too many people say, well, God is my mentor. Of course he is. He's everyone's mentor. But if he's the only one, you're in trouble. Because the whole wisdom of the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of the New Testament about community, family, says that if you can't take it from a human, you ain't taking it from God. You're welcome. Felt that was very popular. Um, But as well, for some of us, in some of the areas that we're called to, we're going to have mentors that are going to be distant ones. They're going to be authors of books. They're going to be writers of courses that we may never, ever meet in person. Um, But they will impart wisdom because they're further down the road. Um, In some of the areas that I'm pushing into, there's about five or six key people 
that I have spent about four or five years learning from very, very clearly and specifically. I've got across just about everything of theirs I can because they are walking the journey that I'm looking at walking and, they know, and not all of them are believers either. But they, they have wisdom and understanding in an area that I haven't had at all. But all of your teachers can't be distant ones. You have to have people that are in your life that can see what you do day to day and go, dude, what's that? <laughs> now, I was reminded before, uh, what I was saying before when I was telling the team, what am I going to be talking about? I said, we all need people in our life that can look us in the eye and say, you're being a doofus. And then I realized, you know what? In Australia in particular, we all need people in our life that look us in the eye and say, you're actually not a doofus. You're way bigger than you think you are. If anything, that's probably one of the bigger ones that we need here in Australia. All right, so let me bring this into land. How does this this meta structure called wisdom come? How does this, this structure, like the structure of a house that allows everything else to come into the house and fill the house, how does it come? It comes supernaturally, it comes naturally, it comes supernaturally. One of the ways we see is through what we learn through stewarding finance, it's a key. And I did a series on this, can you remember when it was? Last year, this year? It was last year, somewhere. I, I did seven or eight parts. It was going to be like three or four parts and it grew you know, significantly into seven or eight. Um, and it's actually still available on our website in the secret location. If you don't know where that is, ask me and I will tell you, lest this be podcast out to the entire world. Um, but there is a secret location where that is available to you if you want to get it. Yeah, I'm hiding it in the secret place. A secret place, sorry. (laughs) Do not underestimate how important what we do with money is in the kingdom. Because it's a key to unlocking further revelation. That's number one. It's the breath of God in you that gives you wisdom. So cultivate that place. Cultivate the breath of God in you. And then in the practical sense, in the earthly sense, who are the people in your life that speak into your world, that mother you, that father you? Who are the people that are further down the road in the area where you're called to impact, in the sphere that you're called to impact, that you are learning from and gleaning from? And not just learning, as I talked about last week, the craft, but the business of your craft. Some of you are really good at your craft, but you need to learn the business of your craft in order to actually be the head and not the tail. And remembering all of this is so that you and we, we all corporately can reign, that we can be the head and not the tail. We're not just those who gather for a service on Sunday, but we're actually the ones corporately that the nations of the earth stream in and say, teach us the ways of God. Let's stand. Like I said, I want to encourage you over the next week or two, just read, soak in Proverbs 2 and 3 for just the next couple of weeks. And whether you read Proverbs 2 one day, 3 the next, 2 the next day, 3 the next, or the whole lot, whatever you do, get that into you. And I would love to hear what God speaks to you through it. If you want to put it up on our Facebook page, if you want to email, message, carry a pigeon, whatever, I want to hear what God says to you through that. Because you know, I'm always one who is praying for a move of God, always. Like I just, it's never something I'm not praying that we would have such a place of presence in here as we gather that people will just walk in and start laughing, start crying, start falling on the floor because they've found a place of presence. I'll never stop praying for that. But as I said at the beginning, it can't just stay in here. As it flows out, it looks like something. 
And Solomon is one of our clearest pictures of what it looks like of someone who became the head and not the tail. So God, do it in us. Expand our vision. Where we've been thinking too small, open our eyes. Lord, in the spheres that we are called to impact, we ask for wisdom and understanding. We ask for divine connections with with people that are further down the road from us that can be mothers and fathers to us. We ask for divine connections with peers, with, with people who are at a similar place on the journey, but there's some kind of synergy in spirit that connects us and we both go higher and faster and accelerate more because we're together. And Lord, just in increasing our vision, just deepen the revelation in us that when you said that we were to be the head and not the tail, you were serious about that? That wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't just a theological concept. It was meant to be a practical reality. So we humbly come and say, teach us how. Show us the way that we might walk in your paths. And God, I just ask for an increase in the spirit of revelation on every person that's part of this house. Increase that spirit of wisdom and revelation because it's your breath in us that gives us wisdom and understanding. Yeah, thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.